0: Thanks for joining us today. This is Kevin Mullins, pastor at Broad River Church. And we're really grateful that you checked us out. If this message has been inspiring to you, we hope that you visit our website at broadriver.church. And you can go to the plan a visit page and see if there's a time that you could visit Broad River Church in person. You also can give at that same webpage. And you can check us out also on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Broad River Church. We hope this message is a blessing to you. Good morning, Broad River. How's everybody? Good. We have a lot of exciting things going on here um, at the church. Um, we took a team of six people to a conference, and everybody came back really excited and um, ready to set the world on fire. Um, and it was also our Honduras team, there were nine people in our Honduras team, and they came home last night. I was happy to see our daughter back safe and sound. Um, but I asked her last night, you know, I said, how was it? Tell me a little bit about it. And she just said, this was the best week of my life. And I thought, you know, just how amazing, like we've done all these vacations and, you know, whatever. And I'm like, you just like, she sent me one picture. It was just like a little PVC pipe and water kind of squirting out. And it was cold water at that. And that's where they had a shower. But those, those, you know, kind of environment, that was like her best, best week ever. So I'm thankful for the Lord for moving on that. And I know that we'll hear a little more about that at a later time. Um, My name is Jacinta. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, You don't have to be able to pronounce my name when we talk. I know it's weird. If I haven't met you, I'd love to talk to you after church and get to know you. Last week, Kevin spoke to us about um, lies that we tell ourselves, like things that we tell ourselves that are negative. And this week, I want to just talk to you about four things that keep you from flourishing. And I think flourishing is a cool word. You don't get to use it enough. So um, four things that keep you from flourishing if you're taking notes. I'm going to read this morning from 2 Kings chapter 13 and verses 11 through 14. And it may have a header there where it says, the death of Elisha. Now, when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, the king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha said to him, "'Take a bow and arrows.' So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, "'Draw the bow,' and he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands, and he said, "'Open the window eastward,' and he opened it. Then Elisha said, "'Shoot,' and he shot. And he said, "'The Lord's arrow of victory,' "'the arrow of victory,' over Syria, for you shall fight the Syrians and Aphek until you have made an end of them. And he said, take the arrows. And he took them, and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck three times, and he stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him, and he said, you should have struck five or six times, and then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. God, I just thank you for speaking your word to us, God. I pray that you would use me, um, just somebody who's so unworthy, but I pray, God, that you would let your word come from my mouth, Lord, and that you would um, just speak to us in this service, God, anoint us, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, When I was little... I think Kevin actually mentioned something in a similar vein last week, but we went to church like 400 times a week, so I don't know if anybody else has ever done that, but you have Sunday school, Sunday morning service, prayer before Sunday night, then Sunday night, then Wednesday night, then youth group, you know, so basically you didn't do anything but go to church, <coughs> and I would have to say that I probably wasn't the best kid, I was a little bit, well, I wasn't very good, I guess, so... But, you know, you get tired after a while. of setting and all that. And somewhere along the way, someone bought me what we call a picture Bible. Has anybody ever seen this picture Bible? You should buy one if you don't have it. They're pretty awesome. I was into cartoons and comics at the time. So it was a really big deal to me to see this in in, um, cartoon form. So it's just like little panels, you know, like a a comic. You, You read it. And I remember a couple of things that really stuck out with me. When I was a kid, and this story here in Second Kings is one of those. So we have Israel who's constantly fighting battles, and you know the prophets are saying do this, do that, and we see that Elisha is coming here to the end of his life, and probably imparting some kind of blessing or something on the king. But he says, "Strike the arrows three times on the, or strike the arrows on the ground," and he struck them only three times. And I would say to myself. Well, that's not fair. Like, how did he know that it was supposed to be like six times? There wasn't any like hidden instructions or message. So how, how would he figure out what he's supposed to do? It wasn't just. It wasn't fair. And he didn't do it right. So what did he miss? What, what were the subtle signs that he missed? And then I was also thinking about the passage in Exodus chapter 10, where the children of Israel our captivity in Egypt. And the, the Pharaoh is there, and Moses is talking to the Pharaoh. And then God sends the plagues, one after the other, one after the other. And Pharaoh would say, you can go. But in the morning, he would say, no, 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 you can't go. And it's back and forth, back and forth. And finally, towards the end of the passage there, the word says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I would always think, well, I, I, sometimes I guess I root for the underdog, but I always felt sorry for Pharaoh, because I was like, well, that's pretty big if God, you know, hardens your heart and makes things not like it's supposed to be. But then I was reading the story, and I just kept reading it, like, what, what am I missing here? And I realized that God had hardened Pharaoh's heart not to control Pharaoh, but to show Moses and the Israelites who was in control. God wanted them to know what's going on, who's doing it, and why. So if you're taking notes there, you can fill this in. We don't connect what God is actually doing to our ordinary lives. So this king, when he's striking the arrows, he just thinks, wah, 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 you know, whatever, strike the arrows three times, no big deal. But underneath that is a current... blessing, a current of God moving. And oftentimes, we just consider ourselves, you know, maybe you've gone three weeks or four weeks, and you can't really say that anything super exciting has happened to you in that three-week period. We get stuck oftentimes in the mundane, and we don't connect what God is actually doing in our ordinary lives, that he's working. We often say, we're singing today about um, the mountain, and move the mountain. You know, God, why? we often say that. Why, why is this in my way? Why are you holding me back? But if we look at it closely, we realize that's not about the mountain. That's about me. I'm the problem. You are the problem. God will press us into difficult situations simply to help us grow. We hear... Sorry, guys, I, one of my prescriptions gives you dry mouth, and so I'm going to have to go through all these waters. <clears throat> a lot of times, I, I have a, a brother that um, moves around quite a bit, and, you know, it's like, oh, Nashville's the perfect city. Oh, no, that's not good. Now I live in Boise. That's going to be perfect. Oh, you know, now I'm moving to Tulsa. So he just goes back and forth, and we hear that the grass is always greener on the other side. If God were really working my life, you know, I would have a healing ministry. But he is working in your life. So what we have to do is we have to tend the grass that we have. New grass, new location, new job. As they say, wherever you go, there you are. These events are not going to change issues that you're dealing with. Only God can cause long-lasting, effective change of heart. and I'm thinking about the old song, and I I wish I had written down who um, wrote it, but I didn't, but you know the old song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing? Mm -hmm. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Okay, Um, and then he puts this line in there, which I just feel like is perfect, and it says, I'm prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. So he just kind of puts it all out there, and this is exactly how I feel. You know, if you're like supposed to be paying attention and you're like you know falling asleep we we just naturally have this ability to kind of wander away and not focus on god so the second thing is we don't do what is right in god's eyes if i have ever empathized with a verse or adopted it i do with the one where paul says wretched man that i am the things I want to do, I don't do them. The things I don't want to do, that's what I do. And I like to call this the Christian paradox, right? We know we're supposed to be doing one thing, but we just we're prone to wonder. We're just like off on a rabbit trail here. <sighs> The story of Paul, we hear this story where he is blinded on the way to Damascus. He's traveling, there's a light from heaven, he's kind of blinded. And Paul is somebody that we see early in his life where he's convinced that he is doing the right thing. He thinks that he is about the Lord's business. He thinks that you know he's a, a, just a perfect Jewish person. He's doing all the things that he's supposed to do, blocking out this new heresy, If we read the story of Stephen, Paul is on site there. And he's actually participating with the stoning of Stephen. And he thinks that he is doing the right thing. He's convinced. He knows that. But there's a big difference between being right and being right. And oftentimes, we can talk ourselves into all kind of situations, and we know that it is wrong. We know it is, but we can find a way to justify every single one. We don't do what is right in God's eyes. And this is kind of something that I would do. You know, you read the story of men and women in the Bible, and you think, how could they be so dumb? I would never do that. Never. I mean, they were just idiots. Last week, we heard from Adam and Eve and the blame game. Well, you know, my wife gave it to me, and then the serpent told me to eat it. And I thought about it, and I could actually come up with a pretty big list of people who chose poorly. Jonah, Adam and Eve, the children of Israel marched and marched around in the desert because they could not trust God Esau sold his inheritance, the thing that would set him up for life and give him power and dominion. He sells it for a bowl of soup. The Israelites, again, like 500 times in the Old Testament, we see them doing things like this. The rich young ruler that Jesus met with, and the scripture says he went away sorrowful because he was so rich that he could not bear to part with it. The woman at the well, she had not made good life choices. Peter, even after he says, I will never deny you, denying the Lord three times, doubting Thomas, the Israelites in the golden calf. You seeing a pattern here? The poor Israelites just really mess it up every time. So we see this idea. We have the ability to make a choice, but we don't do what is right in God's eyes. We have to adhere to the word of God. We read in Micah 6 and 8, and some people say, oh, you know, it's so, if I were to really follow Christ and put all my trust in him, I would just not have any fun anymore. Everything would be off limits. I couldn't do anything. But Micah 6 and 8 says, he has told you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. The list there is pretty short of the things that we're required to do, that we need to do. But oftentimes, even then, we still can't meet it. This is probably the one that speaks to my heart the most. We don't leverage the things that we already know and act on them. Everybody's heard the phrase, we don't need to invent the wheel, right? Or like a better, you know, a better mousetrap or something. You know, like pretty much a mousetrap is like, already there we don't have to do anything extra special to it and do you know how many times that I've determined that this would be the year that I read my bible I'm going to pray every single day I'm going to lose 10 pounds Um, I heard a joke this week that the the guy said that he was going to lose 20 pounds this year and he said he only has 30 to go so that's pretty much me in a nutshell I say, I'm going to clean my baseboards. There's not going to be any dust in my kitchen. I'm going to organize my spices alphabetically. (laughs) I say all these things because I know, I know how much easier my life would be, my spiritual life, if I would take care of the things that I just bare bones that I already know. If I could do any of that, I mean, it would be amazing. I know how easy lunches would be in the morning if I just did some food prep on the weekend, I know how much more rewarding my faith would become and how my doubt and my worry and my anxiety, all that stuff would decrease. But still, I don't make God the number one thing in my life. And this is really where God is speaking to me. I don't know about you, but I, I, most of us can't control our thoughts, and so I say can't or won't control our thoughts, so we focus on controlling our exterior, our lives, the lives of those around us. I can't really keep my thoughts and hold them captive and say, no, you're not going to think about that, you're not going to do this. So I focus on you know, my outward appearance. How do I look? Do I look good Am I Twitter worthy? Can I take an Instagram? How do I look? We control our lives. We all live by a calendar, right? You have your iPhone, and if you forget it, you know, your whole day is ruined because you don't have your phone. You can't control everything that's going on. And then we also try to be f- super helpful and control those people around us because we can't control ourselves, so it's easier to say something to somebody else. And I like to do this to Kevin. Kevin, you should not have another piece of pie while I'm eating my third piece of pie, right? It doesn't bother me, but I really want to get him to get it right, and I really want him to do the right thing. And so I try to control who he is and what he does because I don't leverage the things that I already know and act in them. I don't want to have to make sacrifices. I don't want to have to give anything up. If you read in James chapter 2 and verse 20... Actually, through this whole passage, he kind of goes, he says it different ways. He was like, uh, you know, faith without works is useless. You know, you have to have faith without, wor- uh, faith without works. He kind of does it several times. And verse 20, he really kind of gets, I think he's getting like irritated at this point. And he says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person? It's like, hey, dummy, do you not get this? Faith apart from works is useless. So if we have all the information, I'm not saying anything today that you haven't heard ever before. This is just basic common sense, Christian common sense. But unless we act out what we know, how can it be effective? And lastly, I want to talk to you about... The footprints poem that everybody's grandma has on the wall at their house. Um, Basically, if you haven't seen it, I think you've been living on Mars or something, but anyway, it's like always has like a picture of like footprints in the sand. And then the person's really questioning, like, Lord, why, you know, why did you leave me alone in the worst time of my life? I don't understand. And God's like, it's when I carried you. You know, and there's like one set of footprints and in the really difficult time, God picked us up and carried us. Okay, the reason that's true is because it's true, right? God has lifted us up and carried us through a lot of difficult situations. But I love, love, love this song. My favorite song changes like once a month. But right now, my favorite song is the song of ascent. Because we're saying, I'm gonna praise you when I'm, just live in the good life, and I'm going to praise you when I'm in the bad times. Always. I'm going to always praise you. And I love the line that says, I forget what the word is, but you're neither more or less inclined. Like, wherever we are, God is not, oh, well, I love you more because you're sad. He's, he's not changing who he, are. He's, he, who he is. He's not changing his ways. But we have selective memory. We're quick to praise God in the good times, but in the bad times, we act like he's left us. Have selective memory. The things that I prayed for for a year, for two years, for three years, and I just say, God didn't answer me. Where is he? I don't know. It feels like the heavens. You know, when you pray, it's like it's rubber, and your prayers just kind of bounce off, and you're just like, I I don't even know what's going on. God is not listening to me. But if you think about it, what we need to realize is that God is moving in our lives at all times. Constantly, Scripture says in Romans 8.28 that God is working for our good. And I think of it this way. It is an ongoing and unceasing motion. It never stops. If you've ever seen the ocean, it just comes back and forth and back and forth. And God is always, always moving on our behalf. And oftentimes, it's only after we walk through the darkest times of our life that we look back and we see the one set of footprints in the sand. God brings us out of our despair and out of our misery, but rarely do we ever acknowledge or even recognize it during the struggle. It's so hard for us to realize that even when we're sad, even when we're lonely, even when we feel like we don't have any hope that God is still moving in our life. And this verse has actually been kind of a mantra for me in the last few years, and I love it. Let's see. I now I can find it. I'm going on the wrong page here. Okay, it's a good verse. So just hang on. I'm on the wrong page. Ah, here we go. Okay. Um, not only that. Here we go. You know what it is really? Is I actually like two months ago, my vision just left me. I think I have to have reading glasses, so just bear with me with my low eyes here. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We're like, what? Rejoicing in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. If you don't ever have any bad times in your life, how are you going to have a life? How are you going to be grown up? Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, And endurance produces character. A lot of us want the character, but we don't want the suffering. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. During the struggle... the good times and the bad. Things that we think are going to tear us down And this, like, I've had things in my life where I'm like, God, this is literally it. This is the straw that breaks the camel's back. I'm just, I'm done. Those things are building things in us. They're building endurance. They're building character. If you're a football player, they're out right, right now in the heat of August, sweating, running laps, like pushing those things with their shoulder, I don't know what they're called, but look, those pushy things. They're doing all of this because why? I mean, do you really wanna be out in the sun, like 110 degrees, pushing the pushy thing? No, you're doing it because someday you're gonna get picked to be on an NFL team and you're gonna get a big paycheck, right? So we're doing these hard things because the reward comes to us at the end. And it's not easy getting there but it's certainly worth it. God, just tell yourself this this morning if you write something down, write this. God is not in the business of making you miserable. He's in the business of saving you and he will go to drastic measures to do it. Listen, guys, we I can't do it, you can't do it. None of us can do it by ourselves. We need God and the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. You need to find a small group to plug into. You need to find some friends and have lunch with them some, you know, someday after church. You have to build some intimacy and some accountability, some trust with those people who are on the same journey that you are. We need physical healing. We need spiritual healing. And at Broad River Church, we are all about addressing the issues that put us in dark places shining the light of God's love in all of the cracks and the crevices and allowing God to change us from the inside out. Can you just pray with me this morning? God, we are so thankful to sit in your presence. And God, I just know that this really isn't a revelation, but it's just bringing home the point that if we know to do right and we don't do it, that it's a sin, and I ask us, God, that at the just the base level, God, the simple one, two, threes, the ABCs, the simple things that we know about you, that you would cause us to seek you. God, to see that even when things seem mundane and ordinary, that you are completely at work in our lives. And that we need to be bold and take bigger steps than we've ever taken before. God, I just ask that I would begin to use the things that I know that I would begin to let you work in my heart. I'm thankful, Father, for who you are, for what you're doing in our community, in our church, God. Thank you, God, for just for being real and meeting us where we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.